Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Kevin Amash uh, with me here today. Kevin, I really appreciate your time. And I'm going to send everybody to your website right away because there is a lot of content, including some free downloads that you can uh, take advantage of there. So head over to pinefinancialgroup.com. Of course, that will be a clickable link in the show notes. Kevin, I really appreciate your time as we talk about hard money lending here today. Jack, I'm so appreciative of you and invite me on and I hope we can provide some value. And I know we're going to provide some value for the listeners. We could go any kind of direction regarding conversations with you today because you've been in the real estate business for 16 plus years. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's actually a bit more than that now. So I, I bought my first house when I was 21. When I turned 23, I had moved out of it and kept it as a rental. I'm 43 now. So two decades of investing experience and almost 18 years now in the lending, private lending specifically uh, business. As an investor who was deep in the w weeds and you're buying and selling properties, you probably had experience with hard money lenders. How did that impact your current business as being a hard money lender? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I haven't, I don't get that one very often, but it's instrumental because I was, when I was getting going, I didn't, I was in college still and I was out there cold calling foreclosures, cold calling for rent by owners and for sale by owners, just trying to generate some activities so I can, on the weekends, I can go out and meet with these people and try to negotiate deals in their living room. And so I was, everything I was doing was off market and I was learning how to buy properties with little and no money down. So I was able to do one or two deals every single month without any cash. And a piece of that, of course, was private money or hard money lending. And, the, and Susan was her name, the lady that um, was lending me the money at the time ended up recruiting me. I did a real short stint in the conventional lending world. And then I quickly moved over and started working with Susan. So yeah, that's a great question. And it's huge for where I am today. So what are some of the things that kind of make you stand out as a hard money lender then with that background? I would have to think that you probably come at it as a different approach when dealing with investors directly. Yeah, I'm an investor first. I've never stopped investing. I still buy properties now. Bigger deals now, bigger numbers now, but it's still the same strategy, same concepts. Everything's the same. So I'm, a, I'm an investor first. And I think that's how or why part of the reason why Pine Financials had so much success. We understand what investors need and what they're looking for in their transactions and their funding. In the early days, I started this company in 2008. In the early days, I only hired loan officers that had fix and flip and rental property experience because I, I think that's important to help our clients be successful. When we work with anybody, whether it's a hard money lender or any other business for that matter, we see this as much as a partnership as anything else. So with that, do you find that you, because of your background, are you almost in a mentorship role with some of these investors as they're trying to close these deals? Yeah. In fact, that's a good question too. I, I learned early on the best way to market your business is to help other people get what they want. So it's, it's not, hey, let's just put this campaign online and see if we can get some clicks. We do some of that also, but it's really about providing value and content, just like we're doing here today. 
if we could help people reach their goals and what they're trying to accomplish, they want to work with us. So I got into the content marketing game early on, started teaching classes and, and helping people. And yeah, for sure, we hold people's hands through their transaction. Look, if they're successful, we're successful. They're going to come back to us. They're going to refer us. So we do anything that we possibly can to help our clients be successful. And we've been there and we've done that. And we see so many deals. We're doing hundreds of deals a year. So we've seen it a lot and we can be in their corner um, for sure. So I like how you described that, be partnering with them. Now, we don't have a mentorship program or we don't sell education or anything like that. We want to do deals. We make money doing deals and we want to help people make money. That makes a lot of sense. That's what you're in the business for. I do the, the concept that you're in that mindset where if they succeed, you succeed. But I'm sure that there's situations where people are coming to you not as prepared as they should be. With that being said, what would somebody probably have? What ducks in a row should they have set up before they even approach you to make sure it's a good fit? Yeah, and this is going to be true for any hard money lender that you use. And, and a lot of hard money lenders, it's changing a little bit, but a lot of hard money lenders are very local. So if you're not, if you're not investing in our markets, we're not going to be able to help you with this, with the loan. Now, obviously we'll take the phone call and we'll, we'll try to give you some advice and help you through your transaction, but we won't be able to lend you money unless we're in our markets, right? And so a lot of lenders are going to be like that. So this is true working with me or anybody else that you want to work with. Um, you got to have credibility. You look, it's in heart, in the hard money industry or the hard money business, it's not about cash. It's a little bit about cash, but it's not about credit scores and, and all of that. It's really about your credibility. Like you got to have a plan in place. So when I say, when I get this question and someone asks me, how do I be prepared for the conversation with you? How do I get my pre-approval? You better know how you're going to pay me back. So that's going to be one of the questions we have. What's your strategy? How are you adding value to the real estate? And what are you, how are you going to get out of it? Are you going to refinance it and keep it as a rental, like the Burr strategy we hear so much about? Are you going to flip out of it? Are you bringing in partners to take you out? Or what's the strategy and show us that you can get us paid back? So that's really primary number one. And then you hear about the credibility packages and all of this. If you have executive summaries and your financials and all of that prepared, that does help. But it's really about just having a plan. That's also interesting. Like, so what outside of those details, are you running, let's say somebody brings you a property, are you running your own comps because you're familiar with these markets? Are you looking for, is that a data point that you're receiving from the investor on the ground? Yes. It's a litmus test, I would imagine, to see how they're underwriting their deals. That's right. We want them to underwrite their deals first and then we verify. So you run your ARV, your after repaired value, and then we're going to verify it. Now, depending on the loan product, we have a couple of different products. But if, our, if we're going to the highest leverage product that we offer, which literally is 100% financing, we get a full appraisal on that. So it's a third-party appraisal. Appraiser comes out and appraises the property. And that's how we're going to verify that ARV. That gives us and our clients a little bit of cover. And it's a third neutral third party giving us a valuation. So there's no manipulating values just to try to get a deal done here. So we're really trying to protect our investors. Now, if you're putting a little bit of skin into the deal, we have a 90% product, um, which is still pretty high leverage compared to what you can get in the conventional world. But if we're going that direction, we feel pretty comfortable with our valuation, um, again, because we're local. So we'll run our own comp grid and we'll come up with our own desk review. And then we'll probably come out and do a quick inspection of the property and, and just make sure that your budget or your plan is feasible. But in that, those cases, we'll do our own verification of the ARB. But yeah, good question and good point. We want them to do their own values first. With you being in this unique position where you were a real estate investor and now you're 
primarily focused on hard money lending. I have to ask, what made you decide to put your eggs in the hard money lender basket? It seems like that's your primary focus these days. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question because when I was getting started, as I said, I didn't have money. So I had to learn how to get really creative and negotiate deals. A lot of it was like owner financing and lease options and all of the stuff that you hear about. I was learning, I was digesting books and going out and practicing and falling down and getting back up. And I was doing all of these things. But through that process and sitting down in hundreds, maybe a thousand different homes in their living room, trying to negotiate a deal, what I learned was that the financing side of the deal is the deal. So how do you make your offer? How do you structure the deal? How do you write your contract? How do you negotiate it? What words do you use? All has to do with how you're going to fund it. It all comes down to the funding. So I fell in love with the financing side of this business. And I got recruited a couple of times. But when the first time I got recruited to be a mortgage broker, that's why I went that direction. Because I thought I, thought I was going to be able to help other people structure their deals. That's really how, how I, I got into the hard money lending business, which is I love the financing side. I love the deal structure. I'd be curious to know when you decided to make that focus, did you find that because of the focus, the business took off even faster? Like it started to grow even more? When I, when I noticed a big difference in the growth of the company was when I shifted my focus from me to my client. And I know we've already talked about this a little bit today, but gosh, in the beginning years, and I know people are like this, they, they got to pay their mortgage. They got to pay their rent. They got to feed their family. So they're so focused on the fee. And so they're, you're on a treadmill and you're just running, trying to generate fees so that you could survive. And so it's hard to shift that focus into helping somebody else make money when you need it. But once I was able to do that and I didn't necessarily need the money as much, that's when everything really started growing. Would you say it's because there's a certain point where especially when you're getting into real estate investing early on, there's a layer of, first of all, you're a bit uncertain of what you're doing. You're trying to figure this out as you go. And, but so there's this lack of confidence, but when you, when you start to apply that light, that layer of focus or that it goes back to the, the old adage that I, I keep pushing is the concept is that when you're getting into real estate and wholesaling for the first time, when you get that first deal done, that first one is always going to be the hardest and the rest of it will start to move because your confidence increases. This is possible. There's a bunch of other things that something will snap and then the growth actually starts to begin. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. And I say this to to clients and on podcasts all the time. If you don't, if you're caught in that squirrel syndrome or that shiny object syndrome, you're never going to make any money. And entrepreneurs naturally are like that. And real estate investors, there's two kinds, really. You got the really analytical ones that are hard as hell for them to ever make a decision. Some of them never do a deal. And then you have the entrepreneur type that you're always chasing the next shiny thing. Neither one of them is going to have success. So I, I think you need to have the entrepreneur mindset and be creative and, and curious but you got to focus on something. And what makes it so challenging in real estate is there's so many different things that we could be doing to make money, right? I, I went the lending route. You can invest, you could wholesale, you could do owner financing, you could do commercial notes, sling notes or tax liens or judgments. Like there's unlimited number of different ways you can make money in this business, but you're not going to make money if you're doing them all. So I say focus in on if it doesn't work, give it a little bit of time so that you can see if it's going to work, then maybe shift to something else, but don't go out there and try everything out at once. That's how people fail. It's typically a sign you're out of desperation. You're acting 
just trying to make some sort of ends meet. And I completely get it. We've all been there. We're trying to make this work. So I would love to have a story regarding like a recent transaction that you did, maybe even helping a brand new investor through the process. Do you have something that you could share? So I'm not so much on that side of the business anymore. I'm more managing managing it, managing people. And I do work with our private investors. So people invest with our company. I have plenty of stories of my own and I've got one that's not an, a newer investor that we were able to help out. So maybe I do one of those. I just, I'm sure. not in the trenches on all of that. Um, so I guess the one that I'm thinking of right now is in Chicago. It's a big office complex. It's about a $40 million total value. We're small. Like our max loan right now is 4 million bucks. So this is way beyond what you would think we'd be able to do. But he, he was able to raise a syndication. He was able to raise 4 million bucks. He was buying it for eight. So he only needed 4 million. So his big value, I was only 20% occupied. He called me pretty close to Christmas. I think it was actually the week of Christmas. And his bank just bailed out of the loan. He had a pre-approval and they were getting ready to, to do the deal. Very interesting because he had a national tenant in there and the tenant was going to buy out their lease. And that buyout, that money to buy it out was going to do the rehab on the project. So it's a very creative way to do this. He needed to close and he had just a couple of weeks to do it. He had a full package, the appraisals, all the environmentals, all the diligence, the feasibilities, the zone, the, the, uh, the surveys, all of this is done. But the bank said, you know what? We decided it's a great deal, but we're not doing office anymore. They're scared of office, which is understandable because you have Brookfield giving office back in California. So they're like, no office. We're just not doing the asset class anymore, even though it's a great loan. So we were able to come in, give him the $4 million bucks he needs so he could take down the $8 million purchase on a potential $40 million project. And that's one of the things that I love about this business. Like we're, we're really helping him out and he's going to make a ton of money on this and he wouldn't have been able to do it without us. That is neat, especially the story about how he was being so creative in that situation, especially regarding the renovation. I've been finding some of the bigger properties you can, it seems like it's easier to find a creative path than some of the single family homes. Oh, it's night a day. The commercial investors, we do both. In fact, I'm about 80% residential We because that's my background. I really feel comfortable there. 20% commercial. But I'll tell you what, the commercial investors are very sophisticated and they're working on some really creative transactions, which is my passion. So the way they're partnering with the owner of the project, other people, they're using tax credits and all kinds of creative ways to get deals done. It's a lot of fun. Before we move on, I just want to remind everybody we're talking to Kevin Amolch with pinefinancialgroup.com. I'm going to, like I said, it, the link will be in the show notes. If you found some value so far, can you do us a quick favor and share it with one of your investor friends? It would help a lot. So Kevin, I would like to hear now as you've been scaling your business and maybe you want to even delve back into your real estate investing days. What is one of the mistakes that you might have made and what you learned from it? Oh gosh, this one is so easy for me. It's the biggest mistake I made because it basically took me down. I was what I would say, how do I say this humbly? Maybe I can't. I was popular in some of the RIAs, local RIAs in Denver, because I was so young and I was doing so many transactions. Like People were attracted to me and they wanted to know how you're doing it, how you're doing it, which is why I wrote the book, by the way. I, I was feeding on that. So I was just like, I got to do more deals. I got to do more deals. I got to do more deals. So all of my goals for my real estate career and my real estate business was based on how many properties I am going to buy. And I see this with syndications all the time. And people are bragging about how many doors they control or own or all of this. And so I was the same way. I get it. It, it feels good to say how many properties you own. 
the mistake I made was the goals were based on the number of properties I was doing, not on the quality of the deal. I was doing a lot of deals, but they weren't as high quality as they should have been. And going into 2008, it basically took me down. So the mistake I made, the goals, if you work hard and you're committed, you're going to hit your goals. And if you're making the wrong goals, then that's a problem. Just, just so you know, everybody, if, if you uh, want to check out Kevin's book, you can learn more at 45dayinvestor.com. And I'll make sure to have that link in the show note as well regarding the book that Kevin purchased. I'd be interested though now, based on the experience in 07, 08, that down economy and we're in an economy slump right now, are you seeing any familiarities, any kind of red flags that are obvious that maybe somebody should take note of? Yeah, I get. I do see some red flags. I get this question quite a lot because it feels a little bit like 2008, especially when you start seeing some of these big banks go down, but it's not the same. It's just not. There's we still have record equity. We have record high credit scores. We have record low availability of credit. The foreclosure, the record low inventory levels. There's just not very many similarities between 2008 and what we're going through right now. It does somewhat um, resemble what we, we went through in the early 90s, however. So as I was digging into the 2008 crash, even though I lived through it, just to go back and research that and try to learn about it, it was all about credit, right? It's all about mortgages is what, what took the economy down. And that's not the case here. It's more similar to, to 1990s, which I wasn't even in. I was still in, gosh, I guess elementary school at that time. So I researched that and I'm comparing it to, to today. And I, I do see some similarities there. But look, every recession is different and we don't know what's going to come. Um, I did write an article or I did write a special report on the 90s crash and how it's similar and what I think could happen as we work our way through this. And that's at thepinereport.com. Anyone can go get that for free. But the red flag I'm seeing right now is in the commercial space. And the, and the reason I say that is we have a, a huge number of commercial loans coming due in 23 and 24. And with interest rates more than doubling, are they about doubled now where they were when these loans were originated? Only because they've come down recently. But with the interest rates basically doubling, these renewals aren't going to qualify for bank financing anymore. So the banks are going to get stuck here with either you either get it off our books or you're going to need to bring a bunch more equity to lower that loan amount so we could hit our debt service coverage ratio. That's an important ratio for banks when they're looking at commercial loans. And that's basically for your viewer, your listeners here. It's, does the property produce enough income to pay for the, the monthly debt service? And with the higher interest rates, they're just not qualifying. So I think we're going to start seeing some more commercial projects hit the market. Um, they're going to have to sell them, right? They're going to have to sell these. So but the, the pitfall here or what I could see issue is in the commercial real estate values. And we're already seeing that in the office space. It's one of those things that we've adopted to a new scenario, especially regarding the office space. There's a lot of companies now that after two years of lockdowns and everything else, they start to question whether they need that office space. Right. And we're seeing it all the time and trying to sublease it out just to make the payment. And like the person that I helped in December who closed in January, but like that tenant, they didn't need the office space. So they were willing to pay a, a big number to buy out that lease so they could reduce the size of, of what they were taking on. So for them, it made sense. One of the things that you have going on here with Pine Financial Group too, is that people could get involved as investors in your company passively. Could you talk a little bit about that and, and maybe even share how somebody would assess whether it'd be a good fit? Yeah, Jack, I'm actually, I'm very proud of this. Out of all, a lot of, I've heard of a lot that I've done in my career, but this is one of the top because 
um, we were approved by the SEC to offer a public mortgage fund. So we could actually advertise. We could take accredited investors. We could take not accredited investors. There's no restrictions or limitations on that. Um, and that was a tough process to get through that approval. But with the government regulators, they don't, they try to, they overprotect consumers and that. So that was a challenging um, process and, and we got through. So now we can accept investors all the way down to $10,000 minimum to get involved and you get some exposure to Main Street over Wall Street, as when I like to call it. Um, and it's just an, if a flat promised 8% return. So it's nothing crazy, nothing super sexy or exciting like some of the syndications or other investments you could have. It's just a very steady, you can count on it. It's every single month investment and, and people like that. Um, so yeah, I'm proud of it and it's growing like crazy. So that would, that'd be a way to get involved with us. And it's get some exposure to real estate, especially with what's going on in banks. With these bank failures, I thought we were going to get like people wanting their money back. Exact opposite. We have more people putting in because they want to get out of the banks where they don't feel safe and into assets backed by real estate. It's crazy. We never did touch on the fact that you mentioned that you focus on certain parts of the country. Could you share some of that information? Yeah, we probably should have talked about that, shouldn't we? (laughs) So we're based in Colorado. I'm, I'm just west of Denver in a suburb west of Denver. So we're up and down the front range in Colorado and we go out to some of the mountain towns. Um, we also do quite a lot in Minnesota and around the Twin Cities. We do a lot of business there and in Wisconsin. And then just last year, we decided to start investing back into Washington, D.C. We did that several years ago and it wasn't going as we had planned. So we pulled out. But now we're in a position to go back in. So now we're back in D.C. So Colorado, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and D.C. are the markets we're in. Are there any projects that you just won't touch? What we're not doing right now because of the economy is land. And the reason for that is I can't produce income with it. So if we have unentitled land, we're not touching that right now. Now that will change because there's definitely a need for a bridge loan for land while you're getting your approvals with the city. No banks are doing that. So right now it's pretty much cash or you're not doing the development because people like us are, are not doing it anymore either. But it, once it's, you got your approvals, you're entitled, then we'll look at financing it and help you with the infrastructure and bringing in the utilities and all that. But yeah, just raw land right now we're, away, we're staying away from. You mentioned that your largest loan is at that like 4 million area. Is there a, a small loan? There's something that it's just not worth your time? Yeah, we look, we do quite a bit of business in Milwaukee. So we do some smaller loans out there. I think my average loan out there is under 50 grand. I mean, literally, there are like thirties and $40,000 loans out there. Um, so we'll look at anything. In those cases, we have a flat fee of two grand because um, we've got to make some money. Um, otherwise, it's our origination points. Two points is normally what we charge. This has been a really interesting conversation. And I'd like to transition over into the rapid fire questions, but I do want to remind everybody again, we're talking to Kevin at Pine Financial Group. I'm going to make sure to have all those corresponding links in the show notes, including those that uh, have those free downloads. Take advantage of what Kevin is offering there. There's a lot of great information. But uh, if you're ready, Kevin, we'll just jump right in. Let's do it. Here's your chance to bust a real estate investing or lending myth you'd like to, to bust here today. I think we did that already today, but I think a myth is that you need money to, to be successful. You, you don't. I was literally, I was broke and I was buying one or two houses a month. It's just, you got to be creative. You got to learn how to use other people's money. Sure. Do you have a book recommendation or what are you reading right now? So I'm reading Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters right now. Um, 
I have two, two daughters and I'm trying to be the best parent I can be. So that's what I'm reading right now. But as far as a book recommendation, I know I'm not allowed to say Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but I got to say that I'm reading that to the kids and they're really curious about it. So I'm happy I'm doing that. The book recommendation that I absolutely love is the E-Myth Revisited. If you're looking to actually scale a business, there's none better than that. I've gotten that one recommended quite a few times along with Who Not How is a, another one that's really popular. Yeah, I just recently read that one too. That's a great one for outsourcing and trying to learn how to use people, right? That sounds bad. I didn't mean it like that, but. I understand what you're saying though. It it does shift your mindset a little bit. I, I like those books that kind of make your gears lock up for a second and go, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. So I would love to know if there are any tools in your life that you can't live without, whether it's yeah. for business or personal. It's so funny because I get made fun of all the time, but this is it right here. I don't know if you could see that, but this is for the people that are not watching the video and are just listening. This is just a literal notebook. It's a small one and I, I use a little clip on it so I know what day I'm on. And it's a task list that I do every day. And I think part of my morning routine is to, at night, I try to get this list together, what I need to accomplish the next day. And then my morning routine is to prioritize my day going through that list. And so it sounds crazy, but if I don't have this little notebook, I just feel so lost, even more than my phone. But it, and, and then I'd have to throw in the, the CRM. I, so many people are doing business without a CRM. So I think that's strange. But how do you keep up with all, all your deals and all your contacts if you don't have that? Yeah. What CRM do you use? So we have a cut, I think it's, it's customized for us. We're, we're on the Entreport platform. Uh, we, okay. came, we came off of Salesforce. Salesforce was just really intense. I know you could customize it to how you want, but the team that we're working with really like Entreport and they sold me on it. So we're on that one. Some, it, it's interesting to learn. And, and I frankly think I've seen everybody using, a, a, I had one person that we, I ran into that their CRM was as easy as a, 31 day folder system. That, that's how I did it when I was starting. It's crazy. Right? Yeah. And they, they just advanced the piece Pull of paper out. to the next slot in the, it worked for them. And I was like, that's genius. That's the cheapest CRM I've ever heard of. Yeah. That's exactly how I did. So I, I pick a, I go for that day. So let's see, what are we on the, the, the 19th? I pull all my follow-ups out. I'd call them all and then I'd refile them for the, when I want to follow up yeah. every day. Yeah, that's that funny. Cool. That was great. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? I think I already did it, but I would tell my younger self to, to really have the ready, fire, aim mentality. I know it sounds crazy and people are going to not like that advice, but I'll tell you what, if you try to aim and you try to aim and you try to aim, and I think we talked about this right before you hit record here, but there's people are attracted to those businesses. Sometimes they're like engineer minds and that kind of mind and they have the paralysis by analysis or whatever you call it. And they never do a deal. And that's really sad for me to see all the effort they put into the education, listening to the podcast, going to the seminars, reading the books and doing all this. And then they never make any money. So I would say you will fall. You will fail. Live with that. Understand that and learn from it. If you're going to try to be so careful that you never fall, you're never going to be successful. So I'd say ready, fire, aim, change direction, keep going. There's never going to be a better learning experience, especially when it comes to real estate. Yeah. And you're going to fail. So you might as well just do it and yeah. learn from it and move on. In under 60 seconds, can you give everybody a single tip or trick that they can implement in their business today to have a direct impact? I think you need to learn sales and marketing are going to be the, the absolute best skills you could have. They make, those two make the most money of anything you do. And even though you think you might not need it in this business, because you're 
got great agents, you got great contractors and all this, you do. So I would really focus in on studying marketing and, and the sales process. It's a five-step process, most books and more, most education. So learn, that'd be the skill that you'd want to learn to make the most money. Best bang for your buck. I, I can't echo that enough. That's great tip. Kevin, do you, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today? I think we did a great job. Great interview. I really just can't emphasize enough the, the power of action. Like just don't underestimate the power of one small step. Like one small step moving in a direction, any direction that is can change your life. So I just want to leave you with that. Just please just do something. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.